0: Hey everybody, you're listening to Table Talks with New Directions, the Domestic Violence Shelter and Rape Crisis Center of Knox County. We hope that listening to this podcast gives you an inside look into the world of domestic and sexual violence. Throughout these episodes, you will hear from advocates, preventionists, community partners, and even from survivors themselves. Thanks for tuning in. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Table Talks. Um, I have Madison with me today, our newest prevention educator, Um, and today we're going to be talking about kind of the history of domestic violence, the history of social reform movements related to domestic violence, like the battered women's movement, Um, and then we're also going to talk about how that history has kind of played a role in New Direction's history as well as an organization. Um, so, this episode's kind of going to serve as like a little timeline. I feel like that's kind of the best way to yeah. put it. Um, about just kind of like the influences that have been made in these social reform movements and then the influences that have been made in New Directions history as well. Um, so, the, the first key event that we're going to be kind of talking about in the United States for the fight against domestic violence. Is in 1972, the first emergency rape crisis phone line opened in Washington, D.C., which is kind of weird to think about because it feels like that wasn't that long ago. Like, my mom was born in 1970. Yeah. So, like, to think that, like, when my mom was born, there were no, there were no, like, rape crisis hotlines or anything that existed.
1: Yeah. It's crazy to think that. Just those things that are so common for us today that we, Mm -hmm. the resources we have today, not that long ago, were not even on the table.
0: Yeah, for example, and like to think of, um, for example, to think of like how many hotlines there are out there now. Like I think of like 2-1-1, I think of the suicide hotline, I think of, and there's a ton of different suicide hotlines. And then I think of, you know, rape crisis hotlines, domestic violence hotlines, like there's so, there's such a wide variety of them in existence now. So it's cool to think that um, in 1972, the very first one kind of made its first appearance. Um, So then also in 1976, the New York City Council passes a resolution urging city agencies to create plans for providing special resources for survivors of domestic and intimate partner violence. And then the first domestic violence shelter opened in new york city in that same year
1: i think that's really cool too i mean new york city is such a large metropolitan area Mm -hmm. um you can only imagine the need for that service during that time oh
0: yeah for sure i actually would wonder how many they have currently running in new york city
1: that is a good point i might make a note to look that up
0: just to see um 1983 Fun fact, that's when New Directions (laughs) (laughs) was established. Um, So, in 1983, there are over 700 domestic violence shelters existing. Um, Those domestic violence shelters were serving 91,000 women and 131,000 children annually. So, again, like, you have to think as well, like... I wonder when the first domestic violence shelter opened. I know the first one in New York City was 1976. But, I mean, 91,000 women, 131,000 children. There was a point at one time where there were no domestic violence shelters in existence. Right. And where did all those people and children go? What did they do during that time? Exactly. Like, that's so... it's so It's so scary to think about. But it makes me glad, it makes me very happy that we have, like, come as far as we have. Um, Okay, so then three, nope, six years later, (laughs) (laughs) I can't do math today. Um, Six years later, in 1989, the number of domestic violence shelters in the U.S. increased from 700 to 1,200. And then in total, house roughly 300,000 women and children per year.
1: Wow, that's like almost, that's more than doubling.
0: Yeah. The amount of people that were served in six years. Yeah. Like that's, that is wild to me.
1: I just think it's so cool and crazy to see, like when you see the timelines of these things play Mm -hmm. out. It just you can just see the momentum and the increased need and it just seems like the more Shelters that were created and utilized the more that started popping up
0: for sure Like I think they were realizing they probably were realizing so many people are coming forward so many more people are Experiencing this than we even can comprehend It is a legit need and these resources are being used.
1: It's almost like a ripple
0: effect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's wild. Um, And then, so same year, 1989, um, October is proclaimed Domestic Violence Awareness Month by Congress. So, for those of you that lose track of time, like I do, um, this month is October. So, um, domestic violence shelters all over the nation really are commemorating this month and just really focusing on bringing awareness to domestic violence. kind of heightening, um, like, the need for donations to serve survivors, but then also increase uh, prevention programming as well.
1: The United Nations adopts the declaration of the elimination of violence against women without vote.
0: What does that mean, without vote? That's probably a really dumb question.
1: I am assuming this isn't my, like, precise knowledge but i'm assuming that means like unanimously like they didn't even need to vote on it it was just one and done
0: that's awesome
1: yeah i thought that was very impactful
0: yeah and for it to be considered an international human rights issue yeah like
1: that this i think it just goes to show this is something that affects everyone mm -hmm. everywhere regardless of where you come from or the kind of
0: yeah person you are. I mean it affects everybody. Yeah. And I was actually talking so when I was at Kenya earlier today, I was actually talking to um one of the people who was tabling next to me worked with international students. Mm. And we were we were talking about like the cultural considerations related to do, related to domestic violence and everything like that. And he was talking about how he's from Russia.
1: Oh, okay. And
0: he was saying that there's definitely a need, like, and there's a heightened, like, awareness of it now, but he said the resources really are not there. So it's, like, it's interesting to hear people who are from out of the United States and kind of their experience with the topic and, like, the resources available and the prevalence of domestic violence shelters and things like that. Um... So yeah, for it to be deemed an international human rights issue, I mean, it definitely does not discriminate and no one is immune. And that's something I said to him today, is that no one is immune. You, you never know who is experiencing domestic or intimate partner violence. Yes. Um, okay, 1994, the Violence Against Women Act is signed by President Bill Clinton, acknowledging domestic violence and sexual assault as crimes and providing funding for anti-violence resources.
1: I think that's also very
0: impactful to have the leader of such, you know,
1: mm-hmm. of a Western country such as ourselves um, stand yeah. up and say
0: that publicly. Mm-hmm. I think that has a, holds a lot of weight. Yeah. 1994. And for it to be, for it to be first acknowledged as a crime... Yeah. In 1994.
1: I think that just kind of shows like some of the, Mm -hmm. just some of the intricacies of domestic and intimate partner violence is that social attitudes and norms have shifted. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, things that were once acceptable or seen as normal no longer being that way.
0: Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think that social attitudes related to the topic have have changed a lot. Um, excuse me. I think there's, I think there's still a lot of work that, you Definitely. know, needs to be done in those areas for sure. But just looking at this, like, we have, we have already since then come a long way, which yes. is very cool to see. Uh, in 1996, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is established as a component of the Violence Against Women Act. Um, that's a really, really great resource, and that's something you can just literally type in National Domestic Violence Hotline. I think you can even just type in Domestic Mm -hmm. Violence and the first thing that pops up is that national um, DV hotline. So very accessible resource. Yeah,
1: it's come up even just um, in my own research about Mm -hmm. different topics and things. It comes up as the very first thing in Google that um, anything to do
0: with domestic violence. Yeah. And
1: you can text and call this number, correct, I
0: believe. I believe so. I think that most hotlines have incorporated text lines just because calling isn't always a safe option for people. That's
1: a very true point.
0: Um, But yeah, I was actually, I literally Googled our agency upstairs just a second ago and the hotline, like the the National Domestic Violence Hotline popped up. So yeah, you're exactly right. Anything related to domestic violence, that hotline is likely going to be there. Um, in 2005, okay, so now we're finally in the 2000s, the Violence Against Women Act is reauthorized and specifically includes language about prevention. And
1: hey, here we are. The rest is history,
0: right? What are you doing down there, Madison? Kicking the the table. (laughs) breaking Breaking the table. Yeah, I mean, that's really cool to think about too because prevention has grown so much and prevention prevention is so important. I mean, direct service obviously very very yes, important. Front lines. Um but to see that like to see in 2005 like prevention was kind of given the like given recognition mm-hmm. as a part of ending domestic violence. Yeah, and
1: I mean, honestly, I know i have been here for a little while now, but still, I still consider myself a newer staff member. Um, mm-hmm. Before working here, I really, I didn't even know that like prevention was something you could even do um, yeah. as part of a domestic violence agency.
0: So mm-hmm. for sure, and I think, I think there's a, I mean, I mean, I remember the first, the first place I worked related to domestic violence. There was no. There was no prevention.
1: And I think maybe part of it is mm-hmm. that there is such a need for direct services and that is sure. like such a priority in yeah. itself and that's all very true. Um, mm-hmm. And so when there is enough resources to go around that direct services can be attained to and then mm-hmm. prevention can also have its own focus, I think that's just really awesome.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um OK, so 2009, the first White House advisor on violence against women, Lynn Rosenthal is appointed. This newly created position is dedicated to advising the President and vice President on domestic violence and sexual assault issues. When I read that, I, it was so cool to read that, that like someone was appointed specifically to advise on domestic and sexual violence. Because, like, it's such a what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, it's such a delicate topic, Mm -hmm. like, both of them are. And I feel like to really make sure that you are serving a nation appropriately, like, related to these topics, you have to have someone with an expertise in that field and in that realm, for sure. Yeah, I mean
1: we can't all be experts no. at everything, even if we're the president of exactly. the United States. <laughs> exactly. So.
0: They have enough to balance as it is. I think it'd be hard to build on a specialty of domestic and sexual yes, assault. So I agree. um twenty nineteen, the Violence Against Women Act is reauthorized and now prohibits those convicted of abusing, assaulting, or stalking a current or former dating partner from owning a firearm.
1: After going to the, um, Ohio domestic violence networks press conference on the fatality Mm -hmm. report, um, last week, I think this one really hits for me because, um, unfortunately a lot of those fatalities of domestic violence do involve, um, a firearm. So I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's very impactful.
0: Yeah. And we, um, in Knox County, we have something called the lethality assessment program. So it basically assesses the lethality of a domestic violence situation. And so one of the questions on this on this lethality assessment is whether or not the abuser owns a firearm or whether or not there is a firearm in the home. And if that if it is the case if there is a firearm in the home, that lethality goes up exponentially mm-hmm. yeah. so it just goes to show the danger of an abuser or a perpetrator of assault or stalking um it really adds to their potential danger yeah whether or not they have access to a firearm um okay so kind of moving through these key points these you know key years in this timeline, I think it's been really cool to see the growth, not only in the United States, but also internationally as well. Um, and just like the increased awareness that's being brought to domestic violence and sexual assault, um, and the attention as well. I think a lot more people are aware of it. I think the, you know, it's still a little bit of a taboo topic, but I think that it's it's something that more people are open to hearing and learning Mm -hmm. about. And I think that is really important. And I'm excited to see where, you know, these movement movements or this legislation and what, how many domestic violence shelters exist in 10, 20 more years. Um, of course we all want to put ourselves out of a job. We (laughs) hope that one day it never exists. Um, but I think for the growth in awareness and attention to be what it has been is a pretty amazing thing and I think that's how we ultimately end domestic and sexual violence
1: yes I agree
0: um, so now New Directions history so like I mentioned before um, New Directions was founded in or created in 1983 um, but in 1982 in Knox County A group of concerned citizens made plans to open a shelter for survivors of domestic violence. So the brainchild was established in 1982, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I um, in doing the research for this on
1: our own history. I just find our agency and its roots so inspiring that it was our community members themselves Mm -hmm. who saw a need for this and took the time out of you know they were people who had jobs Mm -hmm. and families and obligations um, but they made the time to create something that they saw their community had a need for
0: well and it was all volunteers at first yeah there were to my knowledge there was no paid staff. Yeah. So everyone, everyone that, you know, was a part of that project and, you know, worked with survivors and, and did all that, they, they did it out of the kindness of their own heart, which I think is an amazing uh, and very commendable thing.
1: Yeah, I think it just goes to show, you know, the power that each of us have. In our everyday lives mm-hmm. to make a difference for yeah. others and to work towards a common goal and do yeah. something good together
0: because you never I mean you true I bet you in 1982 these community members probably hoped but had no idea what New Directions would yeah. eventually turn into which is pretty cool and if you guys don't know how cool New Directions is we're gonna talk about it <laughs> um, So then January 1st, 1983, um, New Directions opened its doors as a shelter in an efficiency apartment rented from interchurch social services. The shelter arrangement served survivors and their families for two years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I think something I forgot to add in here was that there was like one office that um, I think the on-site shelter person just slept in that office, in the apartment. Um, it was right there, kind of in the thick of everything. Just, like I said, really in there doing mm-hmm. the work themselves, you know, walking the walk, so to yeah, speak.
0: for sure. And I wonder, <clears throat> I'd be so curious how many, how many people in this efficiency apartment, how many it could house. I believe there were two bedrooms. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you could put, a fa- like, a family mm-hmm. in each bedroom. Dang, that's wild. Um, so, October 1985, New Directions moved its location to a more permanent site, leased from the Knox County commissioners. Um, 1988, we expanded our services to include a rape crisis program, becoming Knox County's first and only rape crisis center. 1989, I feel like so many things happened in such a short period of time. 1989, we expanded our services even further to include a victim advocacy program that provided legal support to survivors of domestic violence who are seeking protection orders in criminal and civil proceedings. Um, I have Something I have learned since being here is that legal support is so important. Like it is so it is so challenging for some people to get those protection orders.
1: Yeah. I think it can also, if you're not familiar with the mm-hmm. legal system and the judicial processes, it can be really confusing and challenging to navigate mm-hmm. um, on your own. And that, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine going through something like that by myself. That would be terrifying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So having that... Having someone there to kind of help, you know, guide and kind of explain those certain legal proceedings, but also to have that emotional support through it all as well. Because, I mean, something that we know is that that is a very um, intimidating and at times harmful um, process for survivors to go through. Um, 1992, the Ohio Department of Mental Health certifies new directions for residential support services. In 2003, New Directions is given funds for the Delta project, which was the predecessor to the current prevention program, which is cool mm-hmm. because we're both we both do prevention work so um, to think about in 2003 when, you know kind of we started getting getting started in it and then how far prevention has come since then
1: yeah and then well. now I'm, I'm looking back at the us's timeline mm-hmm. that we just talked about a few minutes ago and it was so in 2003 um, our agency was um, given funds from the delta project which was as you said the predecessor for the prevention program and in 2005 was when the violence against women act specifically included that language about prevention. So only two years apart there. Oh, wow.
0: Hmm. It's cool to see, like, the timeline of it all. Because, like... And, like, comparing New Directions history to just, you know, general U.S. history is... It's cool to see where everything with us fell within that other more general timeline. Yeah. Um... So then, due to the need for more space to serve survivors, which, as we know, kind of the need kept getting, keeps getting higher and higher, it seems, um, in 2017, New Directions leased additional space to create a separate administrative office space. Um, so that would have been our 110 East Gambier mm-hmm. off administrative office. Um, the shelter expanded their services to include a pet kennel for residents and then a third bedroom was created so that we could house additional uh, survivors. So by leasing that administrative office space, we were able to increase capacity and serve more survivors and house more survivors in our emergency shelter. Um, and the other thing, seeing that it expanded our, we expanded our services to include a pet kennel, that's something that I always also was really, I thought was really cool about our organization. Um, a lot of agencies don't allow pets. Mm-hmm. And what we know is that pets, believe it or not, can be a big factor in people staying. Um, if you've seen, if you've walked around um, downtown Mount Vernon recently in October, you might've seen some of our banners hanging up. Um, and one of the banners talks specifically about pet abuse and kind of the threat that comes with, um, you know, leaving and having pets and not being able to take them with you. So I think that's a really important aspect of it as well.
1: Yeah, and I think survivors being able to keep a connection to their pets mm-hmm. provides them a level of emotional support and sure. their identity and...
0: um I think that's really great. Yeah, definitely. All right. Now we're getting into when I I feel like I can speak to this history, which is kind of exciting. Um, In March of 2020, New Directions purchased our new admin space, 212 North Main Street, just a few days before the COVID-19 pandemic shut down. And that literally is spot on. (laughs) Like, I remember the staff meeting where it was announced that we were purchasing the building and how like excited we all were like all of the possibilities the increased reach like you know the possibility of being able to hire more staff like and then boom everything was like ghost town yeah basically everything stopped um and i actually remember i've I, i was telling you this just a second ago before we came down to record i remember during covid we we maintained all of our staff first of all which i think is an amazing thing because a lot of staff were lost during the pandemic um we all sat out in the back parking lot in lawn chairs you may have heard Lori talk about this and we like we brainstormed what we wanted this next chapter of New Directions to look like. And like thinking about that and then thinking about now, it's crazy.
1: I mean, I bet it's like <laughs> such a, you know, I know we're still kind of getting ourselves settled here, but I bet that's such a full circle moment to see. Because, you know, when yes. we started talking about New Directions history, talking about New Directions. Of itself being a brainchild work of mm-hmm. someone of a community and then mm-hmm. for that once that being established that this new building the all the possibilities that go along with it also at one point being essentially a brainchild and now it's here
0: yeah i know like i just kind of got chills because <laughs> <I just, laughs> it is it's i mean it's so cool to think because I mean, I remember at one point, like, we honestly were like, are we ever going to be able to get into this building? Yeah. Just because everything kept getting, you know, with the pandemic, everything yeah. kept getting pushed back. So many
1: complications.
0: We were, you know, some of us weren't even in in office. We never stopped serving survivors, but it definitely, it was a challenge. So it's been cool to see how we have persisted and kind of come out the other side stronger. And
1: I think it just is... One example of our commitment to serving survivors and serving the cause as a whole mm-hmm. is that, you know, we are very committed to tackling the challenges that may arise, mm-hmm. whatever they may be. Yeah,
0: for sure. Because they're never going to stop. That's no, for that sure. Can't. The challenges are never going to disappear. Um, so then three years later, or no, sorry, same year, <laughs> same year in June, Um, New Directions, we actually received the Excellence in Prevention Award from OAESV, which is the Ohio Alliance to End Sexual Violence. Um, that was pretty cool because I remember when I was first hired on, um...
1: When were you hired on? What year?
0: 20... January of 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Yeah, so I was only working for New Directions for a few months before we went into the shutdown. Mm -hmm. That's wild. It was a little scary. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so in June of that year, we received Excellence in Prevention. And that was super cool because I remember my first day of work. My first day. I started and me and... um, the other prevention educator that was here at the time, we sat in our office for like weeks and we had all of the programming on paper in front of us and we just like dissected it. And then Lindsay, like Lindsay had a lot to do with it as well, like dissecting the programming, really like breaking it down, making sure it aligned with Ohio Department of Education standards. And so it was cool to see like that work like pay off yeah and then be like kind of rec- recognized for it I mean you don't need recognition but it is sometimes a little bit cool to yeah
1: know, <laughs> it, it never, <laughs> to get it. it it never feels wrong
0: yeah um and then so I I think I added this one in so March of 2023 we also received the investor in the future award um, oh, wow. from the Knox County Chamber of Commerce so um Another cool thing, like just it recognized an agency or an organization or a business um, that put an emphasis on investing in the youth of Knox County, too. So to receive that as well was a pretty, pretty big honor and a pretty cool moment as well. So then April 2023... Aaron's Law passes in Ohio, which mandates that all students preschool through 12th grade receive one hour of age-appropriate child sexual abuse prevention education during the school year. Which this was a big... This is a big move for prevention Mm -hmm. as well. Um, You know, we are in all school districts in some capacity. But by, by making child abuse prevention required, mm-hmm. mandated, um, we're potentially looking at increasing our reach even more, which yeah. is very, very exciting, um, specifically as well in like the elementary schools mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think, you know, we know the benefits um, of getting into the schools, especially in those um, Elementary range grades, um, but to have like legislatively the state of Ohio as a whole yeah. be able to recognize the importance of that as well, mm-hmm. um, that's really awesome, and I think that'll definitely be so beneficial um, to the whole state.
0: Honestly, yeah, and it makes me think of too like um, the opportunities were we are given as staff to not only advocate for survivors but advocate on like a state level. Yeah. And having the opportunity to go to like advocacy day and go to the state house and talk mm-hmm. to our legislators and you know have them ask us questions about why is this work important. Yeah. Those things matter. Being able to do that mm-hmm. matters. And I think that, you know, by giving your staff the ability to go have those conversations, I think that is also what's aiding in the legislation that is being passed. So that's really exciting as well. Um, All right. And then June 2023, so just this summer, we moved into our new building um, at 212 North Main Street where our administrative office is housed. Um, So this move was really exciting because... It allows for us to increase our reach, not only increasing capacity to serve survivors, offering additional office spaces, Mm -hmm. freeing up office spaces at the shelter to house more staff so that that opens up more room for survivors in shelter, Um, but then also providing more meeting space to provide prevention education. I mean, when you think about it, we've only been in here since June. What is that, June? four months and i feel like our capacity has increased exponentially yeah. like in-house trainings being able to hire more staff mm-hmm. like it's been a pretty cool it's a pretty cool place yeah to i i
1: think it's definitely <laughs> um you know us having the physical space mm-hmm. and it being so accessible to downtown um and in mount vernon yes i just think that it really um Breaks down some of those barriers, maybe, that we have experienced in the past.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's really nice to be in a more central location. So lots of positives yeah. to being here for sure. Um, all right. So then that brings us to not necessarily something in our history, but something in our future which is our event, our Domestic Violence Awareness Month event, on October 27th, 2023. Um, you, Some of you may have seen it on our social media. It's our Rock and Bowl All Night Long, where we're going to be doing a 40-year um, celebration while also hosting a no-tap bowling tournament, um, costume contest, all that good stuff. Um so once again, this is just to kind of commemorate our 40 years of existence in the county. Um, it's a pretty big milestone. So I think that it's something that, well, I know it's something that we're all very excited to celebrate. Um, and hopefully 40 more will come after that. But again, it is October 27th. Um, our tickets are available now for purchase. So um, it's 25 per individual ticket and that gets you admission into the event that gets you access to live entertainment um, as well as food and then we also have a $150 no tap uh, tournament admission so that would be your ticket for a team of four so I think it breaks down to roughly $37.50 per person um, and that will get you All of the things that are included in the individual admission, so entry, live entertainment, food, but then it also gets you entered into our no tap tournament, which there is a cash prize for people who win first and second place. Yes. So there is an incentive. Very exciting. (laughs) Sounds very fun. Yes. If I was good at bowling um, and I didn't work for New Directions, perhaps I would enter. But Both of those Um, things. Not on the Unfortunately, table. Fortunately it's not on the table. So I will purely be a support for those participating. Um but again, like I mentioned, tickets are available now. Um, feel free to check that out. Reserve some reserve a space. Uh, we are really excited to commemorate this 40 years and just have the opportunity to hang out, you know, build connections and just get to know our community members a little bit more. So um Madison is there anything you want to add before we sign off I don't
1: think so I think we just about covered it all
0: okay yeah well if you've gotten this far thank you for hanging in with us and tuning in um if you have any questions or concerns with anything that we talked about in today's episode um, we're always happy to chat more with you via our hotline which is 740-397-4357 And then as always, just kind of keep your eyes out for what we have on social media. Thanks, everybody.